Italian hermit himself. There, at Worms, he finally uttered his famous confession. Unless I am convinced, by the testimony of the Scriptures, or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Bound by the Scriptures, with a conscience captive to the Word of God, hardly sounds like freedom. But Scripture's freedom has never been an isolated, individualistic, lonely, and ultimately death-dealing notion like the ones that capture our imaginations today. True freedom is being captivated by Christ's promise of forgiveness of sins. It is like getting a tune in your head you can't get rid of, only this time, instead of a legal refrain, have you done enough, it repeats a promise. God is pleased with you on account of Christ. How did Luther come to be bound and captive to God's word this way? Luther was born a peasant on November 10th, 1483. On the feast of St. Martin, his father took the boy to the church in Eastleben, Germany, to be baptized and named for the day's saint. Martin's family soon moved to Mansfeld, where his father began working in a copper mine. Though the Renaissance was blossoming at the great courts of Europe, daily life for the Luthers was a struggle to keep solvent, alive, and have reasonable prospects for eternal life. Then, as now, the Church imparted a basic kind of spiritual rule. Do your best, God will do the rest. One of the notable theologians of the age, Gabriel Beale, liked to use the Latin adage, facere quod in se est, to do what is within one, which God then accepts as enough out of kindness. Nowhere was that clearer than in the requirement to go to confession before a priest at least once a year. The priest would assess a penalty that could include such duties as prayers to saints, or pilgrimages to holy sites with their relics, bones and such of departed saints. But the centre of religious life for the Luthers was the Mass that would be offered to God as a sacrifice for sin by a properly ordained priest in fellowship with his bishop and the Pope. The papal office that authorised a true Mass was understood to extend back in time to Peter, the first among the disciples, and so to Christ himself. The Mass's form of sacrifice was a prayer built up over time around Jesus' last words to his disciples that offered up the cup of wine and the bread in a way that pleased God. For a long time this act had become so holy and separate from sinners that fears of misuse kept priests from giving the cup to those who gathered in the church. So also the practice arose of visual communion, mystical participation in Christ's sacrificial suffering by the assembled faithful who gazed at the altar bread as it was elevated by the priest during the long consecration prayer, the Mass Canon. Even the act of a priest saying Mass privately, with no one listening or partaking of the body and blood, was taught as deliverance from sin, both in this life and beyond in what had become known as purgatory. Purgatory was believed to be a place where souls not yet righteous or condemned would go to climb the great mountain of obedience and rid themselves of sin. Over all such church practices stood the office of the Pope as head of all Christendom. 
The Pope was able to allow tremendous variety of religious life, including reforming movements and religious groups of many kinds, as long as they remained loyal to his authority as the vicar, stand-in, of Christ on earth, and Lord of the Church, by divine right, as it was called. Divine right meant the office was believed to have been established by God's own demand, and with God's means of extending law to new situations as they arose in history. Teachings could vary, even regarding the meaning of the Mass. Loyalty to the Pope could not. The Religious Life and a New Discovery Perhaps the most obvious presence of the Church to most people in Luther's day, however, was the tremendous growth of monastic communities. Luther later thought that if monasteries kept to teaching, especially for the poor, they could serve a good purpose, but they had disastrously become a better form of the religious life than the everyday...